Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Oli Harder is a football coach from New Zealand who has gained high level coaching experience in the United States, China, Norway, and England. Apart from coaching Klepp IL in top serien for three seasons, he has also represented Norway at an international level, serving a term as the assistant coach for the national U23s in 2018. Harder recently left England where he managed West Ham in the Women's Super League and returned to Norway in May 2022, being named the new director of sports of Esko Brand Kvinner. When Brand's head coach Alexander Strauss left for Bayern Munich women, Harder took over and coached the team to win the league title. After this episode was recorded, Esko Brand also won the cup which saw him lead the team to take the double in 2022. In this episode, Oli Harder talks about what made him leave New Zealand years ago, what's the most challenging to be a coach in the women's game, and what kind of football an Oli Harder team is expected to play. You are listening to Their Pitch, and this is the Oli Harder episode. On August 29th, we had Elena Sadiku on, and that was the last coach we've had on since we've only been recording with players. But today we're here with Oli Harder, who is a coach. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for, for being on. Super excited about this episode as uh, I, I'm i very intrigued to, to know about you as uh, I actually don't know much about you. So I'm very interested in hearing about your career. It's been uh, it's been some journey, that's for sure. And we're gonna take you guys through it, Oli. We we usually start off with having the person who's a guest here uh, pronounce their name. So I'm gonna let you do that. Yeah, nice and easy. Uh, Oli, spelled O double L I. Uh, last name Harder. Oli Harder. Oli Harder. Easy. You got it with the New Zealand accent as well. Uh, it's fading away quickly though. Is it? Yeah. If uh, if this gets broadcast in New Zealand, I might be. Uh, <laughs> Put to shame, but that's all right. Uh, Oli, we also have a, a quote from somebody who knows you, and uh, you're going to have to guess who it is. All right, hit me. As someone who works very close to Oli right now, I describe him as very positive and sociable. His hard work and strong, strong knowledge of football characterizes him. I would describe him as someone that is very academically knowledgeable on the subjects in general. If you ask me, as a Norwegian, he is now coaching one of the best teams in Scandinavia, and I'm very happy to get to work this close to him. Even if he might be most known at the moment for being the former coach of West Ham in the Women's Super League, I would say that he also is well known for his haircut. Oh my god, it could be anybody. Um, first of all, they're lying. I'm not very sociable. Um, <laughs> so they're just being nice. Um, 
it's got to be it's got to be Thomas, doesn't it? I'll give you one more guess. Then it has to be a uh, Shetlone. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. It was the haircut that gave it was the haircut that gave it away. It was the haircut, yeah. Yeah. Is that something you guys joke about, or is it? No, just that I'm a you know, I, I, I keep it keep it trim. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Cool. I always I always made the joke that I had a full head of hair before I started coaching, and uh, after the stresses of coaching, I'm now uh, much older <laughs> than I need to be. So the hair has faded away. That's <laughs> <laughs> slowly. Ollie, as uh, as I mentioned previously, I don't really know much about you, but I want to get to know you, and I want to know like. How come you started with, with coaching? What was your like initial introduction to football and then deciding that you wanted to be a coach? No, well, my introduction to football was uh, I'm a first-generation New Zealander. Both my parents immigrated from Germany. And uh, obviously, as a, as a Kiwi kid growing up, the only thing I really wanted to be was, a, was an all-black or a cricket player. Um, football was enjoyable, and I played football. I enjoyed it. Um, but we grew up in a small town. There was uh, a rugby team, but it was not a competitive rugby team. It was just social. And my father and mother were very uh, against me playing rugby. Um, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. And for them, rugby was probably seen as something that was a bit violent and a bit uh, brutish. <laughs> um, so I was sort of steered towards football as a, as a good German kid. Um, and that sort of became the, the passion for me, football and cricket. Um, but that was my introduction to football, and it was my opportunity to connect with my older brother and my father, and, and those were the sports that they were involved in. So it sort of took shape from there. Um, Coaching-wise, I, I took my first coaching gig, I should say, when I was 15. I think I was in high school at the time. And I was coach, uh, coaching boys nines. Uh, and it was a younger brother of one of my best friends is his team, you know, the boys nines or boys eights or whatever, uh, with absolutely no clue what I was doing, but just enjoyed it and knew from that moment that that was something that I would like to at least dedicate part of my life to. Um, so, yeah, really from, from 15 is the first time I knew that I was going to, this is what I was going to do if I wasn't to make a career of football, um, which 99% of the people who play football don't. So the odds were in the favor that I would end up as a coach, not as a professional football player. How was it for you when you got that first, what was your first professional gig and how was that for you? Well, I just uh, graduated university uh, and I was at the time doing a Bachelor of Sport and Coaching and, and Athlete Development. Um, I'd spent a year in the U.S. 2005 uh, at Virginia Tech um, and then went back to Auckland, New Zealand to graduate and then got a job offer to go and coach full-time in the U.S. Uh, in New Jersey uh, with an academy out there. So decided from that point, why not? Um, let's go. So took a took a flight over and uh, the rest is history. Haven't, haven't been home to New Zealand since. Not even visiting? Uh, three, maybe three or four times, short visits, Christmas and so on. Uh, last time I was home was 2018. Obviously, COVID made some problems over the last few years. But uh, yeah, it's it's very infrequent. Um, and I guess it's something we can talk about later, but that's really where 
you have to sacrifice a lot of things if you want to be on this journey, especially if you're from New Zealand. Um, and one of those things is spending time with my family, watching my nieces and nephews grow up and spending time with my parents and so on. So, um, yeah, it's been, what, 15 years now on the road. And you're currently coaching a a league winner in Norway, Esko Brown. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us about like why 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 did you decide to to take on this job and what has the journey been like for you guys this season? No, oh, it's been a it's been a unique situation for me and and I always sort of reference football like, like life, which is you don't you never really know <laughs> you think you know but you don't know. Um, and I'll be, I just uh, arrived from time at West Ham and um, had initially come in as a director of football. Uh, and the reason really, uh, one of the reasons was just to begin to look at exploring a different space in football, uh, having been a, a on-field coach for and manager for 14 years straight type thing. I needed to just say, can I can I recharge my batteries and uh, f- explore a new space? Uh, within two or three weeks, the head coach was then uh, moved on to Bayern München. And, and then it sort of, I wouldn't say fell into my lap, but... Uh, yeah, it was decided that I would finish the season with the team. Obviously, they were only halfway through, so we had half the season left. Um, and yeah, I've been working two jobs since May. So this whole this whole idea of having a break never really came to fruition. What what has the season been been like for you guys? The journey to you know becoming to winning the league, but also you guys obviously fell short, just like fell short off the Champions League group stage. How how? How would you summarize this this uh, this season? Well, we have a cup final this weekend to play in, and if we can win that, then the way I look at it is we were 30 minutes away from a perfect season. Um, we, Champions League, we played extremely well for large parts. We, we Yeah, there was 30 minutes there that we, um, probably even less, where we, we weren't quite where we needed to be, and we got punished. Um, but a, a challenging situation when you're coming in uh, into a successful team as well, and I've been on both both sides of the scale there coming into West Ham and we were uh, about to be relegated and, and then coming into Brann and they're top of the league. So two completely different challenges when you're coming in there and having the experience to to navigate those situations, I think is really important um, for us in Brann, uh, staying on Brann. Um, just a, a really mature group, um, a, a fantastic group of girls, women to work with, um, and the important thing for me was not to fiddle around too much. It was just keep things moving in the right direction, imprint a little bit more of what I would like to see, but don't change too many things. Uh, there, there was already something there that was building to be special. Um, and so seeing that and understanding that was really important in regards to where the success has come from this season. And you've mentioned uh, West Ham quite a lot. How come you decided to leave the WSL and West Ham? Was it an easy choice? No, I think. Look, anytime you're you're moving, it's always uh, you're weighing up what's important to you, and um, as a coach, also you have to sort of understand where the ceiling is in regards to how um, how far you feel as a manager you can take the team. So this is not about how far the team can go. This is how far you feel you can take the team. Um, we had obviously avoided relegation as when I came in mid-season and we built a, a much stronger team and a much better culture moving forward. And we finished uh, the best West Ham's ever finished, highest points total, highest position, et cetera. 
Um, and I looked further into the future and, and saw that this was probably as far as I could take them with my experience and my qualities. Um, and that was for me to to try something different. And as I said, for me, it was looking at a different space in football, which was director of football, sort of GM director of football role. Um, and so that ultimately helped me make that decision. Never easy. Um, but I think in football, it's important to, to recognize when you've had success and when it's time to pass that success on to somebody else. And we have a World Cup coming up next next year in New Zealand, Australia. Um, speaking about, you know, the, the growth of the game, it's in New Zealand. How, how would you say it's developed over time? It's an interesting question. I think, um, look, football on the whole in New Zealand is, is continuing to grow. Uh, it's one of the, I think, I believe it's the largest uh, sport numbers wise, which is crazy to think about when you look at the success we have in, in cricket and we have in rugby in particular, which we're renowned for. Um, I believe up to the age of 18, most kids are playing football. So, from a number standpoint, it's fantastic. I think geographically, it's difficult for New Zealand. It's difficult to find competitive matches um, internationally. And it's also difficult when you're working in a culture that's dominated by rugby and cricket from a fan base perspective. Um, I think you can see a little bit on the women's side. If we look, go back 10 years, New Zealand women were probably a little higher in the rankings, a little, a little stronger than they possibly are now. Um, and I don't think that's a, a negative on New Zealand in terms of their growth. I think it's more that other countries are growing this, the game quicker. Um, and what we're seeing now is is sl sliding slightly behind the the top tier nations, whereas 10, 15 years ago, New Zealand was, was somewhere in the top 10 or, or close to. Um, so certainly not a criticism uh, from that aspect, but just uh, New Zealand faces a lot of challenges irrespective uh, because of our location, our, our population and, and um, and obviously, uh, the interest in football in general. Do you think some of that falling behind could have to do with the fact that there's not like a professional league for, for, for women in New Zealand? Yeah, but I also think it's difficult to sustain. I think with anything, and we're finding that in Europe as well now. Um, look, the best countries, the best leagues are obviously all professional and, and that's important. Um, but there needs to be a sustainability aspect to it as well in regards to how do you create a professional league? Um, if the interest in watching that league isn't high enough. Um, and I, I, I have a feeling that's where we are in New Zealand. And, and as I said, even in quite a few countries in Europe at the moment. So it's a balancing act um, between having a professional league and not um, from a sustainability aspect. But also in New Zealand, we're, we're working with a what you would call a professional league uh, combined with Australia, but it's not a, 12-month league or uh, it's not a full cycle. So I guess the compromise here is, is that it's a shorter league. That way it can be professional for, for three to four to five months, whatever it is. Uh, and then comes the challenge after that, what happens in those six or seven months when this league isn't running. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, challenging. Um, but it's the same issue we've have on the men's side in, in New Zealand. Where would you say Norway is in all of this? Very similar to New Zealand in regards to when we look at Norway. I mean, this is a previous World Cup winning nation 25 years ago. Uh, and 
there are a lot of good things happening in Norway, uh, but it's difficult to compete now in regards to the status, the the money, the popularity of other leagues. Um, and that's a credit to a, a lot of the countries in Europe that are pushing forward. And for Norway, it's about finding their identity and, and their place or in, in the football space. In the because when you're used to being on top, as I said, World Cup winners and and they had a, a extremely strong league comparative to Europe 10, 15 years ago. And as those other leagues have improved, it's become more and more challenging for uh, for Norway to compete. If we, if we go back to New Zealand just, just a little bit, how do you think this up and coming World Cup, which is next summer, is what kind of impact do you think that can have on on the nation football wise? Yeah, look, I mean, first and foremost, I hope it's going to be it's going to be well supported and it's it's going to bring people together. Um, has the, these types of events has have the opportunity to inspire the next generation, um, and and that you will see in ten years with more more players playing, uh, etc. So I don't think it's going to be an immediate. You'll have a short term spike, but I think the, the the longer term effect will be in the next generation. Um, but like anything, I think for us to have the opportunity as a country to host a, a major sporting event is always fantastic. Uh, and for us to share that with Australia and to, and to bring football down to the bottom of the world on a global level is, is, is really pleasing for me to see. How is it for you as like a male coach to, to coach in women's football? Do you think that, do you think it could be, I mean, in regards to, what's been up and coming lately is there's, you know, there's a bunch of um, things that are coming up to the surface with, especially in the NWSL, but I assume it happens, uh, happens in every league. Yeah. It's uh look, it's no, I mean, I understand where the, where the question is and it's a, it's a complicated space at the moment. Um, and if I'm honest, it's where you will, where at the moment it's more difficult to find good competent coaches um, that are willing to transition over to the women's game. You will find many good competent coaches that are currently in the women's game, but I think uh, it's difficult to find um, because of a lot of the issues that are coming up. Um, And there's always that inherent fear that this could be you, this could be something that happens to you. Uh, And, you know, there are people that should not, not be coaching period. Um, and I'm not here to say uh, what's uh, anything about those situations. But if those situations that are coming to light are true, then that's sort of a non, non-discussion there. The, the, that type of um, character, that type of um, coach probably shouldn't be involved in coaching period. But there are a lot of good people involved as well that are probably a little bit fearful of uh, putting themselves in a situation that is, by all intents and purposes, meaningless or harmless uh, but can be misconstrued in other ways. Um, so what you tend to find now, and you become slightly more robotic, uh, less human, um, because you don't want to put yourself in any situations that could be uh, of detriment to you as a as a coach. Um, and when you take the human element out, you lose a little bit of the joy as well. I mean, we started coaching in the first place to have human contact, to, to uh, have conversations to have a human experience but uh it's becoming harder and harder to do that um because you need to protect yourself uh, first and foremost as a as a coach in all sports but obviously as you said it's becoming quite prominent um 
recently uh, in female in female football. But it's something that's uh, that's come to light, you know, late lately. We it really hasn't been spoken much about, you know, prior to to really coming up to the surface. As I mentioned before, how how important do you think that that these people are actually coming out to talk about, you know, these structural problems that are in the women's game, and especially with, you know, maybe coaches that are in a, that are, that are in a little bit of a power position. Yeah, look, look, first and foremost, it's important to talk about it. It's important to bring it to light, but I also think it's important to recognize that this isn't happening exclusively in the women's game. This is something that's happening across the board in all sports, in all levels, and uh, male and female. Um, and it's exactly that. It's a misinterpretation of the power dynamic um, that either accidentally um, has been crossed or obviously in some cases uh, purposely crossed, which is, like we've talked about, unacceptable. Um, so it's important that we have these conversations. And like I said, important that we're recognizing that this is happening across all levels, men and women, um, and it just manifests itself in different ways. Um but this, there is a, a huge power dynamic, of course, uh, being a football coach or uh, being a manager, and particularly at, at a high level. Uh, I always say that it's it's uh, emotionally challenging for the for the coach because you're constantly um, responsible for other people's happiness in regards to the decisions you make, and there can be decisions that you make that will uh, obviously affect somebody. Um, and if they don't have the tools to cope with that, then it's important to recognize that as well. And, and that's where we get into the, that gray area. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting topic. And, and certainly now the way socially, the way things are going, it's, uh, creates even more challenges. And lastly, where, you know, you said you, you, you switched, you wanted a little football director position. You want to switch up from the coaching just a little bit. Where do you see yourself in maybe? 10 years time you think you'd ever be able to do you think you'd ever want to coach the football fans or something like that i was gonna, i was gonna say opening a tiki bar in in thailand or in uh in bali um catching some sunshine um <laughs> maybe i can do the ferns before that uh no look the goal if i'm honest with you the the i left new zealand 2007 as i said uh with my goal was that i would like to be able to represent my country as a coach uh, as I was unable to do that as an athlete. So for me, a national team would be an absolute privilege at some point in my career um, to put on a, a black shirt and uh, with a silver fern on it and be able to go to an Olympics or a World Cup. Uh, male or female is, is the same for me. It's about fulfilling something that this journey started 15 years ago. Um, and I always said to myself, I, I will go home when I'm, when they are unable to say no. So if the position comes up and, uh, and I apply and they look at it and say, we can't say no to this guy, that's then I know it's time to come home, um, and go from there. So I've been, been working hard on my career and my football education. And as I said, a lot of sacrifices. So. Well, let's see. But as I said, like football, like life, you never know. So we can have a dream, but it doesn't mean it comes true. And with that being said, we're going to move on to the football analysis. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I I often tend to ask players this question, uh, and I've decided to stick with it when we have coaches on. So describe yourself as a coach. Yeah. Uh, Look, I'm somebody who's quite detail-orientated. I think you have to be. Um, Somebody who's thoughtful about uh, relationships, um, but also somebody who's often (laughs) uh, a little bit stressed uh, I pace around a lot. Let's put it like that. And the players know because I'm walking around all the time and then they ask me, are you stressed out? Um, so, uh, yeah, but more and more as I've, as I've matured as, as a coach, it's now become more apparent to me that it's important to enjoy the smaller moments. Sometimes good is good enough. It's not, we, there's no need to stress about everything. Um, and yeah, someone who is can be described as logically contained. Uh, when in, uh, I, I'm very much a process person in my head. Uh, uh, one plus one equals two, and it's so obvious to me that it equals two, um, which of course can be a bit irritating for people who <laughs> who don't think like that. So look, that's kind of who I am, um, and I, I always just try to do my best. And I think that's all that I can ask of my athletes, and all they should ask of me. So. What what kind of football uh, do you want your team to play? How can we tell it's an Oli Harder team? Uh, well, system-wise, it's quite unique. Uh, over the course of the last five or six years, I've landed on a, a, a 3-6-1 um, ad- adaptation of a 3-5-2, but taking a striker and, and creating a diamond in midfield. Um, so we like to look look at trying to dominate that part of the pitch uh, in particular when we're in the second phase. So when we're looking to go from left to right, but using the diamond through midfield, but in terms of just general philosophy, I'm, as I said, a bit logically contained. Uh, so I think a lot about basics and um, I think it's 80% of all goals scored come from five passes or less. So if that's the case, that in my head, I'm thinking if eight out of 10 of our goals come from five passes or less, if we make more than five passes, it's no problem for me, by the way, Then we can, but then we can make 50 passes because the odds are the same. So I play the odds. So once once the moment is gone to get a box entry or an opportunity in front of goal, then we're quite happy to, to find the next moment without panic. Um so, yeah, it's a little bit, again, just some understanding of where the game is. So our mentality is, can we create a box entry or a scoring opportunity within five or six passes? If we cannot, that's fine. Uh, but then we have to control a bit more uh, possession and then wait for the opportunity that gives us the best um, statistical chance of scoring when we have a longer possession period. So, uh yeah, and I, I guess I would imagine that a lot of the players that I've worked with would say that they need to be fit. I like to run. <laughs> but run forward. I hate running backwards because running home means we've made a mistake and we didn't counter pressure properly. Um, and I have a, a theory on high-speed running, which 
which is it's important, but only running forward. Uh, uh, of course, you have to do it when you're running home. You have to because otherwise you're dead. But um, if you if you want to win a game, you need to have some power in your movements, and you need to have some some intention um, and some intensity. So for me, the, it's all about mentality and that willingness to to fail and to try again and to be positive. It's about intensity and obviously quality. Those are my three big things. If you, you have those three things, quality, intensity, um, then, uh, yeah, you're probably in a good place. Many of our listeners, they, they often, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very common questions, uh, question now um, when we are doing this podcast that people want to know the differences between leagues, styles of play and teams. Um, what would you say? Because you've been in Norway before. You, came, you have returned. <laughs> um, let's start with that. The differences between when you were in the league the last time and now. Just in terms of, look, it's... It's funny. I spoke about this 2019 when I uh, left um, the women's side, which was the game. Obviously, just fundamentally, is turning more and more into uh, is being dominated more and more by the bigger clubs. Uh, in, in Norway, we have a lot of what you would call smaller clubs. Um, obviously, bigger on the women's side, but full respect. Um, but now you can see, look, the the top four teams in Norway: uh, Starbeck. Uh, Rosenborg, Wolleranga, uh, Brann, and there's Elisco in the mix there as well. And, you know, it's it's becoming more and more fundamental for, for, for women's clubs to be part of the men's outfit um, for a lot of reasons. Um, facilities to begin with, there's the stature, there's the uh, revenue income potential with sponsorship. Um, and so on and so on. And you've seen it happen in Europe um, earlier, and you look at the WSL now versus WSL eight years ago. I mean, you can't find a small club in WSL now. The, every club is a monster club, uh, um, and it's going that way everywhere now. Um, and so that's I think that's important. Um, but in terms of the league itself, uh, look, I think the, the quality has improved, um, particularly at the, at the top end. Um, but uh, still far away from from some other leagues. And the difference between the football played in WSL compared to where you are now. What what have you brought in uh, to to Brand at the moment? Because you you spoke a lot about intensity, and that's like you know a very common word to use when you speak about WSL football. Yeah. I mean, look, those are, those are words you probably used to describe WSL and uh, NWSL. Um, yeah, look, there is a there is obviously a physical component there. Um, also comes with a level of maturity. When we look at the leagues, the average age of the player in top Serie, and I think is somewhere around 23, and I think in WSL it's maybe 25, 26. Um, so it's a it's a more mature league in terms of the age profile as well so there's a lot more uh women as you might say rather than um younger women or girls playing in the in the league and that obviously then increases the intensity um so look i think the competency and the and the amount of uh focus that's put on the physical side of the game in england is is much different than it is here in norway 
Um, here in Norway, it's much more uh, technically based. Um, but in saying that, you need to have all components. There is no – you can't hide it. You can't play in a vacuum. You can't look at things in a vacuum and only be physical, only be technical, only be tactically smart or whatever the situation is. You have to have it all, um, which is where the professional game has gone with the men. And you can see, uh, I mean, the quality that you see now when you're watching, for example, the Premier League and the men. And now what you're starting to see more and more with the top teams in, in the in the women's game Um the the level of, of quality there, the skill and, and the pace and the speed is is fantastic. So that's really uh the key is like I said, the intensity, but the the intensity of the action and the quality of the action is is at a higher level. And speaking of resources, um I often find find myself wonder this uh lately when I speak to coaches because what tools do you use? Um in in your club now, if you, if we speak about resources, like in an analysis way, what platforms do you use, and etc. Yeah, so look, it varies from club to club. For us at the moment, we're using I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Spideo, Speedio, whatever it is, something like this. Uh, great program, and then you have your basics, um, Hardlil and Instat and Y Scout and on all those bits and pieces. Uh, some again, some are better than others. Um, But like anything, I think with the tools, it's only as good as the people that are using it. Um, and you have to have an, an understanding of how to use those tools, um, both as a as a learning uh, device but, and also as something that will help you inform some of the decisions that you're going to make. Uh, so, look, from a, from a tools perspective, I think, you know, we have what we need. Um, can it be better? Yes. And now, particularly in Norway, it's about can we find more competent uh, people around the team uh, and sort of filling that out. Uh, I'll give you an example. We're the, we're the best team in, in Norway, one of arguably one of the best teams in Scandinavia at the moment. Uh, and we might have four or five people full-time around the, the team, whereas, again, for example, in West Ham, a mid-table WSL, massive club, obviously, West Ham, but in terms of their results, the best we're finished is sixth in WSL. And, you know, we had uh, 12, 13, 14 people around, and that was small for WSL. They can get up to 20, 25 people around the team. Um, so you can see the, the resource gap when it comes to human resources. Yes, obviously. But you said something there. I mean, if you have tools, I would say that you can apply that to to players and resources as well. If you don't know how to use them <laughs> properly, you're gonna have a problem uh, later on. Uh, so, in in terms of that, we talk a lot about about styles of play and how much the style of play matters compared to tactics and player material. Um, and then add tools into that mix as well. Um, what do you think you you as a coach still can learn? No, I mean it's a constant evolution. Um, as a as a coach, this there's always something new, and it, the, the reason for that is just, there's evolution of the game. The game's just changing all the time. Um, so something that you thought was Or something that worked two or three years ago won't work now, and because the structure of the game has changed, the way teams defend or whatever the situation is, um, alongside obviously all the technological changes that are happening now. I mean, you're getting to the point now where you've got AI coming in and 
Um, it's probably not long until we get AI making all the decisions for the coaches anyway. I mean, it's, we probably have an earpiece in, in in a few years and artificial intelligence will tell us when to make subs and how to make them and what's the best shape to play. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going, it's going crazy now uh, in regards to the amount of information that you can take. Um, and I think that's where it's really, really important. A to, to understand the information that's coming in and be able to filter out what is actually important. And then B, how do I apply that? Or how can we apply that on a human level as well? Um, so it's very easy to look at running stats or at physical, uh, sorry, excuse me, uh, technical, tactical stats and so on and so on. But it's still, at least there's still an element of having to use your own brain and, and, and look at situations yourself. So, uh, but probably not long until that goes away as well. Yeah, you're going to be a tool as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll just be the cog in the machine now. I guess yeah. the machine will make all the decisions for us. For sure. <laughs> Last question. Um, which tactical aspect do you feel that you've grown or learned the most about since you started to coach? Uh, for me, probably the, the I've always been enjoying the attacking side, so more the defensive side and the subtleties in terms of defending and both aspects of defending, both when we're established uh, and obviously in transition as well and how counter pressure. And yeah, there's a lot of nuances there. And I think it's one of those things that isn't coached enough in the development phases. It's often we talk so much about players with the ball and what can they do with the ball. And, and it's so important and we should by all accounts, spend a lot of time with children on the ball. But uh, but I think also more and more understanding that so much of the game, you're not in possession um, and your movements out of possession uh, are so important and that we're not looking at the game fundamentally through four aspects, you know, of offensive, defensive transition and then attacking uh, in possession out of and then defending. But that it's all one part it's it's not four separate components it's when we're in possession we're defending as well you know we need to be ready to defend and when we're obviously defending we need to be ready to attack yeah, so and how do i position myself and how do i how do i apply myself um, i think for me my experience is certainly when we talk about uh, some of the tactical uh, parts of the game in regards to pressing for example Uh, how difficult it is to press when you have players who can't defend. Uh, uh, and I, I see it all the time, even at the highest level in West Ham here and Bun, uh, across the board. You have strikers who, who get beaten every time by the centre-back and then all your pressure is gone. Um, so fundamentals, how, how to actually defend. And then that will allow you to expand your uh, <laughs> your pressing or your defensive structure. So certainly something I've learned more and more as I've gone through my coaching career um, from a tactical level, but also understanding more and more about what's fundamentally required to be successful if you are going to be a high-pressing team or if you are going to be a team that's going to be defensively successful. So, uh, yeah, interesting uh, interesting journey. Well, let's leave the this section of the podcast with with that being said and move on to questions from listeners. Oh yes. <laughs> we we had a few and I'm going to start uh because this is not a question but I actually promised one person to to just tell you um this is this is a person uh called um, her name is Jessie Parker Humphreys. Okay. Uh and she just wanted me to tell you that 
I have no questions, she said, but just tell him that I miss him in the WSL. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate that. <laughs> and I can go ahead with Theo Lloyd Hughes wants to know, would you coach in the NWSL? Oh, tough question. Um, fu fundamentally, yes. One of my goals has been to return to America, and I would very much, uh, I very much believe that the challenge would be interesting to take on. Um, as it stands right now in this current climate, it's uh, it's a difficult question to answer because it, it's a very sensitive climate at the moment. Um, and me being a 36 year old male, it's not exactly. Uh, I'm not exactly hot property right now when it comes to a profile that a lot of people are looking for in, in America. And I understand that. Um, so a, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you touched on this subject before, but Blair Newman, he has two questions. Uh, is the back three your tactical preference? Or did it just suit the players you worked with at Klepp, West Ham and Bram? Uh, uh, as I said, I, it was a bit of a journey. I started uh, a 4-4-2 diamond, uh, actually, and then found that it was hard to get enough width with the fullbacks um, in that system in women's football. Um, so by dropping another centre-back in, we managed to push now creating fullbacks into wingbacks. Um, and then, like I said, dropping another one down to make a diamond. So um, it's been my preference. It's my preference because I find it to be a very tactically flexible system for the way that I want to play. I'm not suggesting it's the right way to do it, but for me, I enjoy that. And um, yeah, it's uh, a little bit more like that. This person has another question that it's is quite interesting. I would say you seem to recruit many tall, strong, energetic players at West Ham. Was that deliberate to build a more physical team? Yes, 100%. I mean, we are a team and, and this is where and I think understanding context and understanding where you are in the ecosystem and the landscape is really important. Um, West Ham are a fantastic football club and um, are doing great things with their women's program. But we are not able at the moment to compete with Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Man, Man United now. There's a big gap there after that. Um, and for us, it was making sure that we could, we could compete with the other teams around us on a regular basis. So as I said, from, from number five to number 12. Um, so we needed to make sure we fit, a, fit that profile trying to stay as true to your own football philosophy as possible, but also being as practical as possible when it comes to making sure that those fundamentals are adhered to. And fundamentally, to get some success in that league, you have to have some pace, some power, some intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. So very much intentional to try and find athletic players uh, um, and sprinkle in a few. Uh, we had Yui Hasegawa, who obviously doesn't fit that profile, but isn't absolute genius on the ball and can control the game. So it was important for us to have players like her as well, uh, who's now at Man City, but was it was a pleasure to work with her as well. Nikki Jenks wants to know, now that you've won the league, what's your next goal? Um, what did I say? Open a tiki bar in uh, Thailand, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, in Bali, <laughs> Bali, sorry, yes. Um, 
Well, first and foremost, win the cup this weekend. That's my next goal, so we can do the double. Um, and then, as I've said already twice, uh, as in life, as in football, just um, you never really know what's around the corner. So just to enjoy um, this year and, and we'll kind of see how things develop. Um, but uh, no particular set goal for the next 12 to uh, 18 months. Last question. Uh, Michael McCann wants to know, did you ever feel like at West Ham that you didn't end up finishing what you had started to build? Um, I think it's all, look, I think in general, you'll always feel like that when you leave a project. Um, and in order for a project to be successful, then it requires all parties to be pulling in the same direction. Um, and yeah, look, I, I felt as though we had a, we had a good year and I, I left the club on a, in a good place. And I think more and more now as a football coach, you need to understand that you're in there to do a job um, and the job is as such. So I had two main objectives, which was first and foremost, survival for the club and second to build a platform. And I felt like I've done that or I did that. And that took a lot of people. That wasn't me specific. I was just leading the, the, the charge, but um, fin finishing that project for me would be then where felt, as I said earlier, I was probably not the right man to to lead that team to to winning the league. <laughs> um, it was beyond my capabilities. So, in in a, again, a long answer, but yes, I, I felt as though I was quite pleased with what I'd done there, and it was time for me to move. And I have no thoughts about not finishing the project there. Yeah. And that leaves us with the last section, which is the this or that rapid fire, no thinking, no explanation, just mm, sail through it. Okay, we'll do our best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, per a perfect tactical display from your team according to the game plan, winning 1-0 to zero, or winning 5-0 to zero when the game plan hasn't been followed at all. That was a mouthful. 5-0. Um, uh, Deciding on a starting 11, would you rather choose players just based on the fact that they are in form or the players with attributes suitable to handle the opponents? Uh, attributes. Formation or space? Space. When coaching during a game, would you rather wear a proper suit or a club training tracksuit? Uh, track, track suit. On a day off, would you rather watch football on TV or just Netflix and chill? <laughs> Absolutely no football. Uh, Netflix and chill. And there you have it. Ollie, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.